You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook or rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Also, don't forget to go to SummitHoops2Ts.com for the Summit 24-7 women's basketball coverage. I am joined today by, I, I mean, it feels ridiculous for me to introduce, like Hall of Famer, broadcaster, player, analyst extraordinaire, Rebecca Lobo. Rebecca, so excited that you're on the program. Welcome. Just anything extraordinary, and uh, and I'll I'll approve of how you introduced me. <laughs> well, everything extraordinary. Let's let's be real about it. Um, I want to talk about a number of things around the league, and we started talking a little bit off the air, uh, and also yesterday during a conference call. But the place that I think the lead really turns is where the draft really turned as well in April, and that's the two teams. Chicago and San Antonio that had the two and the number one pick, respectively. Chicago is a place to start just because it's interesting to see where all the pieces fit. And I'm not quite sure I see it when you think about the big rotation. What are your thoughts about how it is likely to shake out at this point, And what do you think generally about what they have? I don't know how it's going to shake out. Uh, you know, when, when they were going through on draft day, the expectation based on their selection of Elena Coates was, uh, of course, she's going to be involved in a trade, and they're going to find some of the other pieces that they really need. And, and that didn't play out. Um, so when you look at their roster, that's the thing that, that's most interesting. Is, is You know, sometimes teams stockpile certain positions, but it's generally not um, the five position right. because um, those players, you know, aren't as versatile. So, you know, you might have a, a more threes or twos, but the five spot for them, um, to me, is, is kind of fascinating. You know, you've got Boyette there, you've got Stephanie Dolson there who – her game, you know, offensively is, is very much the game of a four in right. terms of her ability to pass and shoot. But defensively, um, you know, if both of those players are in the game at the same time, how do you how do you defend? Um, and then you add Parker, Cheyenne Parker, into the mix as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting roster. It's an interesting group, especially. Um, you don't know yet how many games Courtney Vandersloot is going to miss during the season. To I think it's the Hungarian uh, team that she's she's going to be correct. playing for. So um, so and and with uh, with with the injury to Faulkner. So yeah, Chicago is a roster when you're looking looking at it, trying to figure out all right, how are these pieces going to fit together? Um, you know, is there a way that they can offensively take advantage of their size and play some of those bigs together? Um, and, and, and mask what that might um, do to them on the defensive end, whether it's with different uh, zone defense or, or what can they do. So, um, yeah, Chicago Chicago's is, is one of those teams, especially because uh, Amber is a, is a new, not only a new coach there, but a new coach, head coach in the league. Um, you don't know exactly what her style and philosophy is. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to have my eye on them early in the season and just try to, as, as they're, figuring out, um, or as I'm trying to figure out exactly what uh, what they're going to be doing. I mean, it's a great unknown, and, and you mentioned Faulkner, and that's such a huge loss. When you look at her numbers, especially uh, on a per-36 basis, she was 
almost as good in, in a couple of areas, like assist percentage, even a little ahead of Courtney Vandersloot, who's one of the great underrated players in this league. So the opportunity for her to get that regular time while Vandersloot is overseas would have been immense. And I know the plan right now is to play Cappy at the one, but, you know, Cappy being more of a combo guard, it'll be fascinating to see how that affects an offense that, you know, really needs a facilitator. I mean, you need to make sure that your point guard is capable of finding people in the right spots when so many of them are going to be in new spots. And Jessica Breland, someone who's, you know, made her living on the defensive glass, suddenly uh, in a position as a stretch three, she is one, one of the underrated talents in this league as well. And one of the great things and a consequence of Elena moving, Elena Deladon moving to Washington is a lot of those under-the-radar Chicago players who didn't get a chance to get a little bit more of the spotlight. But my fear is that a situation where you pull Breland away from the basket, uh, if Imani Boyette is guarding fours, then that's a defensive scheme that's basically doing the work for the opposition that you, you know instead of trying to figure out how to pull one of the lead's top five rim protectors away from the hoop they're going to do it themselves it's fascinating and and look amber being a first year head coach in the lead she comes from brian agler's staff that was a team that did a lot of really interesting things on the offensive end number one and number two a team that played big so i'm really willing to give her the benefit of the doubt and eager to see it but it does feel at some level like trying to put pieces together in a puzzle that doesn't necessarily fit. Well, you know, and you bring up an interesting point, too, in terms of the, the point guard and the ability to uh, to facilitate the offense because the other thing when you look at the bigs on this roster, they're, they're bigs who, um, who need help scoring in right. terms of they need somebody to deliver the basketball. Other than Breland, they're not really um, – Offensive rebounders, you know, when you can make the comparison to L.A., well, you've got NECA who can, you, doesn't necessarily need to get have one of her teammates pass her the ball. She mm -hmm. can get, you know, however many shots a game just by getting to the offensive glass. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the makeup of the bigs on the Chicago team. No, it's no question about it. And Candace, too, is as versatile as they come. So yeah, it, it, yeah. it will be interesting. Uh, I, I'm just curious, you, you know, to sort of close on Chicago, as a former bid yourself, can you see a situation where Chicago runs five bigs out there, and would you be eager to see it? <laughs> you mean five bigs at the same time? I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking something along the lines of Imani Boyette at the one, and <laughs> we put Steph at the two, and you got Breland at the three, or or maybe Tamara Young if we're cheating a little bit on the definition of bigs, uh, and uh, Cheyenne there as well. I, you know, the the numbers are there. The numbers are there, especially would, um, when, once Elena Coach uh, manages, if, if she signs in Chicago. I would absolutely love to see that. Can you imagine um, the, the amount of size that they, they could take up on the court offensively and defensively? I mean, it would be pretty heinous-looking basketball, <laughs> but it would still be entertaining. <laughs> all, all, all I can think about is this. Ever since I heard Jenny Buchek talk about the fact that she's going to play uh, Brianna Stewart anywhere between the one and the five, and that makes a lot more <laughs> sense just basketball-wise, but I'm, I'm hoping that we see it. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I doubt it will happen, but... I'm hopeful. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, and that is the San Antonio Stars, who are going to be playing, by all appearances, 
as soon as Kelsey Plum is back and healthy and over that ankle injury, and all indications are it's relatively minor, uh, a three-guard lineup. So take me through your thoughts about how that will work, especially in this league. And, and, you know, I asked Stuart about this yesterday because you have a lot more positionless basketball, but it's positionless because there are bids who are going outside rather than teams going smaller. Well, I think offensively, um, I think offensively they'll be fine and, and, and pose some real problems for other teams. Um, you know, they should be able to get the ball up quickly because it doesn't matter which of those three has the ball in her hands. She can uh, push the pace for them. Uh, you know, to, to have a big three have to guard one of those players on the perimeter, all of them capable of creating their own shot, whether it's, you know, Mariah kind of getting by you to get to the rim and, and the other two um, doing that or, or creating a perimeter shot. Um, I think the question becomes on a defensive end because often, you know, uh, you hear coaches talk about um, – if you have one small guard defensively, you can't have two small guards. If you have one small guard defensively, you need to have her on the floor with a big guard. Mm-hmm. And so um, with, with this trio, um, you know, to kind of have two uh, undersized players out there, um, you know, and I guess that's, that's where, the, where the question lies is, you know, how do they, what are their defensive rotations going to be when the other team's three inevitably posts up whichever one of these smaller guards is on her? And so that's, that's such a great point because to me, a lot of the conversations about the knock-on effect, and the knock-on effect in both Chicago and San Antonio, just in a macro sense, is because you have extra fives, then you have a four out of position, then potentially you have a three uh, who ought to be a four. But I don't necessarily see that as the case in San Antonio. Uh, And by putting Kayla McBride at the three, uh, you don't necessarily have the problem as much as, like you said, that both your one and your two are undersized, and that limits having a bigger guard to be able to handle other teams bigger ones or twos. So I talked to a WNBA coach who said that McBride should be able to, and she's 5'11", which I actually didn't realize until I delved deeper into this, but her size is not not necessarily the the issue it otherwise would be. She should be able to handle, the list was of threes, New York, Washington, Atlanta, Chicago, LA, Indianapolis, uh, Indiana and Dallas. And Connecticut, Minnesota, and Seattle are the ones where you'd have trouble matching up at the three. Uh, And I think that's really true. The problem's going to become with what you do with ones and twos. And is that almost an unfair situation to be put in someone like Plumman, you know, a rookie who may be asked against any of the reasonably big guards to be taking on the defensive load? Um. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge, but you know, frankly, her her the question with Plum coming into the the WNBA was her defense in general. You know, there's sure. no question about her how her offense can translate, and and perhaps the thought is, all right, on one end, Kelsey might get posted up by a bigger two and give up two points, but it doesn't matter because coming the other way, she's going to get a three. Right. Um, you know, so so either way, it's going to be a challenge for Plum. She does have really good strength. Um, 
and that's the thing too. You know, I I don't know what they're going to look like offensively. You know, Vicky Johnson uh, being a new coach. Um, you know exactly what what kind of stuff they're going to do on that end of the floor. But at the same time, what what rotations will they have? Knowing coming into games that they're they're most likely going to end up with a mismatch on one of those three guards on the defensive end. Where's the help going to come from? What's the rotation going to be to get out of it? And I'm sure you know that's the kind of thing that changes game to game, matchup to matchup. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and with with Plum, um, you know, again, you knew coming in that there were going to be some things that she would have to adjust to defensively. Right. Um, but you know, if she's coming down and getting three for you, maybe you're willing to to let that be something that that it has a learning curve on the other end. And and that's the other part of it. And I, I think it has been overstated at some points that you know Kelsey is a point guard, Mariah is a point guard. And that is inherently true, but as you well know, Mariah was not a ball-dominant point guard to the right, exclusion of her right. team. I mean, that, that UConn offense, everyone's handling the ball. Nobody's got an assist percentage that reaches 30. Uh, right, you know, right. I, I mean, Gabby Williams, <laughs> the team in assist percentage this past year, and that's not how they operate, nor was Chelsea Plum incapable of doing the same thing playing off the ball uh, at Washington. So yeah, both no, of them have I that experience. That's... Yeah, yeah, that that's a big point because yes, both of them are point guards, but very different point guards. Kelsey is a ball dominant point guard. Right. Mariah absolutely is not. So yeah, Mariah knows how to play without the ball in her hands. Um, and 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 so I that that I don't think that is nearly as big of a concern as um, it, it may have seemed to be when the when the draft first happened. If anything, it's an added benefit, and it's something that you you know you you see coming more and more across basketball, across platforms. So having that two-point guard set up, I think, could really work to their benefit. I, but again, it's like you said, Vicky, being brand new, we, we don't know what she's going to run either. I, I get a chance to see them twice in action uh, this weekend, although perhaps not with Kelsey Plum, uh, still just to be able to see the set, see what she's looking to implement. It's going to be fascinating to me. Uh, but perhaps not as fascinating as the Washington Mystics, who I'll have the opportunity to see on Sunday. Uh, I, I just, when when you go and look at a team that has three of the top four three-point shooting uh, performances from last year, that's impressive in and of itself, but they all did it on different teams. So they all did it without the fact that they're able to work between one another to be able to maximize how open they're going to be. So when I look at, you know, since the line moved back the second time, the Sparks last year were 37.5% from three, uh, and that was the all-time record for this distance. I look at Washington as a team that could potentially shoot 40% from three as a team. Do you think they can do enough from distance to make up for what may be a real work in progress on the defensive end? Um, I think um, Mike Tebow is more than willing to... Uh, <laughs> To, take a shot. <laughs> to, to, to give that a try, you know. I think that that's that's one of the, the the neat things here too is not only the roster that they have, but I I think the world of Mike Tebow. I played for him for one year, his first year in Connecticut, and have followed him since. And um, you know, he is so good at putting his players individually and then players collectively in positions where they can really play to their strengths on the offensive end. And um, you know, for him to have these kind of you know, toys, these weapons at his disposal to move around and figure out the best place for them to be. Um, you know, it, it must be fun for him. It's going to be fun for us to watch. And um, and yeah, I, I think he, I think he can he can make them 
you know, be defensively what they're going to need to be to win games. Um, are they going to need to be one of the best defensive teams in the league to be in the playoffs or to contend for a championship? I don't think so because of, of the firepower and the efficiency that they, they will be bringing on the other end of the floor. Um, so, you know, this is, this is an intriguing team to keep your eye on. And, uh, you know, he said it in the conference call. He's, he's said it all along. You know, this team's going to be a work in progress. Yeah. Uh going to miss, you know, seven to nine games or whatever it is in, in June with her European um, team commitments. But, you know, we kind of saw it last year that uh, what matters is how you are playing at the end of the season, especially if you're not the one or two seed. What matters is how you are playing at the end of the season with with the, some of the single elimination the single elimination format. So, um, you know this this team I just think could be a team that is you know so much fun to watch this season um, on the on the offensive end. Boy, imagine getting into a situation where Washington takes a while to gel uh, the way Phoenix did last year, let's say, and suddenly you're the three seed and you're facing a single elimination and here comes Elena Deladon and Christy Tolliver and they're, you know, they're yeah. working on all cylinders. It's uh, Yeah, that's, that's yeah. not an enviable position to be in, right? No, no. <laughs> Ask the Liberty about it last year. They'll be happy to tell you how uh, frustrating that could potentially be. I, I, I do think... You know, and and the conversation in a lot of circles has revolved around the idea of with Elena, there's finally a star in Washington, and and I do think that sells Emma Miesman short. In yeah. that, you know, this was a player who uh, I had her on my all second team uh, last year in the league. Someone who led the lead in three point shooting uh, accuracy last year. Six foot five, does so many different things well. It strikes me that the biggest part of that Elena trade was not just getting Elena, but the fact that he did not have to give up Miesemann in the deal. Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine that that was a non-starter for him in any yes. discussions of any trades. And uh, that's the thing, you know, people, because she didn't play college ball here, um, people did not know Emma Miesemann, um, you know, before WNBA. And because, uh, you know, Washington has not, been uh, in the conference finals or playing for championship, her name ha- has not been out there as a player people should uh, really know. So, you know, she is still one of the most underrated players in the league, even though by now people should know who she is. Right. Um, you know, they, they will this year. You know, Washington has some games on TV this year, uh, <laughs> largely because of Elena Deladon. And, and when people go to watch Elena, they're going to be like, wow, you know, who 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 is this other player? And, uh going to open up a lot of people's eyes i mean her size an underrated defender she's a very good defender mm-hmm. uh, you know there's a lot of things that she can do that uh the casual wmba fan um has has no idea that uh that she can do yeah i mean they're going to need her to rim protect that's for sure uh i, I mean you can ask elena to do it and and elena is capable of doing it but it's not that's in in many ways a waste of what elena can be in as far as the star question goes and, and i'm just curious from your experience and from what you've seen, Emma, like you said, does a million things well, but at times, and she's talked about this, and, and so has Mike, he's had to emphasize to her how good she can be. Uh, Elena has no trouble taking the mantle of star, has no trouble being the one to get that ball at key moments late in games. Do you think that that is the most vital addition 
that Elena brings to this Washington team, not just her star power, but her ability to command a game? Um, you know, partly that, but um, what will be interesting to see here, if, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, Emma not understanding that or not wanting to be that, maybe having Elena is going to let Emma be exactly who she wants to be. Maybe hmm. she, you know, maybe she's one of those players who doesn't want to be the Batman but can thrive as Robin, and so maybe being alongside Elena is going to be the thing that really helps her reach, com- you know, completely reach her potential of what she can That's be as a player. Um, but, I mean, you have a player in Elena Deladon that at the end of the game, you can draw something up and she can get a shot because of her release point, because of her size, because of the way she can handle. And um, I don't know that there's many better players, or many better coaches than, than Mike Tebow, who can figure out a way how to get the ball in, in a player's hands in a general area of the floor where she can do something with it. Um, so it, with those late-game situations, uh, you know, <laughs> Elena Deladon's one of those, you know, maybe top four or five players in the league that you say, yes, I want her on my team in that situation taking that shot. Yeah, I, it, what you said is exactly right. And to my mind, that's the biggest potential ceiling for Washington. And maybe this is unfair to put on a team that hasn't played a, a game yet. But that combination of offensive talent and the way Mike thinks about the game means that we might see something new in terms of what's possible. And I was sort of driving at that a little with the three-point shot. But in general, the ceiling for what WNBA offense can be, I think, has the potential to be redefined, which is an amazing thing. If they can defend a little bit, all the better. Uh, Right. So (laughs) now now the the anti-mystics in uh, the past couple of seasons, you could argue, would be the New York Liberty, who have been top three defensively, but were 10th overall in offensive efficiency each of the past two years. They've done some interesting things to address it. Uh, I, I, you know, talking to Bill Lambeer during training camp, he was talking about increasing their pace, uh, which is a little bit counterintuitive, but actually might make some sense when you think about how much younger they've gotten. What do you think of the change the Liberty have made and what their prospects are for this year? I know you had them third in your first preseason power poll. Yeah, I, 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 I like their potential. I, I enjoyed watching them last year. What what struck me was um, how important Tanisha Wright was to them last year. Um, while I liked, you know, Boyd coming in off the bench, they needed Tanisha Wright on the floor last year um, to really perform at, at their highest level. So that's a question, of course, coming into this season. Um, you know, if Boyd has the reins, um, how you know how is she going to do in that new role? Especially, uh, you know she's such a fast-paced player. Um, but you know their their bread and butter is still Tina Charles and, and their their big game inside. Um, but it, but it's you know they're intriguing to me too with with Prince back and the season Sugar Rogers had a year ago. Um, you know it, it, Bill Bear talking about an increased pace, and you would think, well, you know, do you really want to do that with Tina Charles on the floor? Yes, you do because she can still beat every post every five player for the most part up and down the floor consistently throughout the course of the game and get herself layups. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's New York, another one because, because of the change at the point guard spot, um, kind of waiting and eager to see what, uh, what, what they're going to look like. It's so interesting too, because, you know, uh, Bill talked throughout last year about being reluctant to put Tanisha Wright in that spot just because you're asking a lot of a veteran. 
and asking a lot of her to, you know, to arguably play out of position. And, and she acquitted herself, you know, very well. But that missing of Brittany Boyd, I would argue, has impacted two seasons because she was, as a rookie, one of the best point guards. First of all, defensively, she was one of the best players in the league regardless. If you go by defensive rating, I think she was second in the league in her rookie year. But she managed to make New York into a team that could score transition baskets. They were third in the league uh, per synergy in transition in 2015, 10th in the half court. And so much of that came from Boyd. So when she was lost late in the year to that wrist injury, it really changed the way they were able to add easy buckets come playoff time, which was fatal against Indiana. And then last year, coming off of that wrist injury, she simply wasn't the player she had been her rookie year. So... They do need her to be that player. They also do because there's no fallback in right anymore. So they don't have that net in 2017. There's Lindsay Allen, but that's asking a lot of a rookie point guard. And there's Bria Hartley, but you know she is yet to really uh, define her role in this league. So, so much to me comes down to her at the point and also to Rebecca Allen being able to play as a legitimate two-way player at the three. I love Rebecca Allen, by the way. <laughs> when I was watching her in person last year, um, man, I, I just like her game and her size. And you know, she just seems that kind of nice confidence too when she's out on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would imagine such a young player that she, you know, the development that that hopefully we'll see from last year to this year from her. Um, but yeah, I think the question the question is going to be exactly how much and what can they get out of um, the point guard spot, whether it's, you know, Boyd getting a majority of the minutes or, or Bria Boyd and uh, Lindsay Allen kind of bringing different things to the team. Um, I don't know, but it seems <clears throat> like they have enough, uh, you know, two through five, including their bench coming in, um, that they could be a team that will, will really contend. Uh, I agree. I mean, Allen shoots three so well, you would think she was on the Washington Mystics. And when you think about <laughs> Zowie B coming back, too, uh, after being forward of the year overseas, and Kia Stotes is healthy, there's just so much talent, uh, one through 12 on this roster. Uh, I agree with you. I think they're going to be there right at the end. Uh, a couple of teams that you had rated uh, near the end of your playoff list in terms of your power pull I want to get into. Uh, one, uh, absolutely agree on, and that's the Connecticut Sun. Tell me what you saw out of the Sun. I know you had a chance to see him preseason that has you as high on them as you do. Well, as high on them, I have them seventh, I think, right. in my power pull. But I, I do think that they're a playoff team. Um, well, they, they don't have a superstar, but um, I, I, I like the way they play. I like their chemistry. I like their, you know, the, the veteran guards that they're, they're bringing back, um, Jazz Thomas and Alex Bentley both signing in the offseason. But the player that really impressed me when I watched their preseason game in person when I went down to watch that little mini um, tournament uh, was um, Alyssa Thomas. She looks like a different player to me than the one I've kind of watched the past couple of years. She um, looked really good in transition. She was finishing. You forget until you see her up close how big and strong she is. You know, the ability to rebound and go the other way, you know, go end-to-end herself with the basketball. Um, I just think, and I really like Kurt Miller. I think that the players seem to really enjoy playing for him. I think they look like they were having fun. Um there was just a vibe about them that I really liked. And, um, and, and when I was watching them, I was thinking, you know, I, I don't, 
I think they're a playoff team. I think there are four teams in this league who are not going to perform as well as Connecticut. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they finished the season strong a year ago. The second half of the season, they looked good. They, um, they gave Minnesota all kinds of trouble, um, you know, in the last month or so of the season when they played them a couple times and, um, and beat them. I, I, there's just something about this team, and, I, you know, it's not – I can't necessarily put my finger right on it that, uh, you know, it's because of their post play, it's because of their guard play. They have a nice vibe of a team that uh, – of a winning team. And, um, and, you know, frankly, I'll be surprised if they're not in the playoffs. I share your belief, and I would also point out – and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but you also have the 3-4-6 from that draft are all entering year two. And so that jump you see from players from year one to year two, for a variety of reasons, I think we're about to see from from Morden Tuck, who's who's healthy again and has looked really yep. good in the preseason. Uh, Rachel Bannum, uh, at, when she is healthy, she is someone uh, who is just an absolutely elite scorer. And you know we're hopefully going to get a chance to see that here. But my number one for them and the player I think should end up being the most valuable player on that roster. Uh, to take nothing away from the players you were mentioning, but John Paul Jones. Yeah. Her, yeah. her, her numbers, I, I mean, when you dive deeper into them. So her player efficiency rating was 24.1 last year. She was, over a full season, fourth in the league in player efficiency rating as a rookie. I mean, she put up the best offensive rebounding percentage of anyone. And her block percentage was second in the WNBA. So you have that combination of skills as a rookie, and they're going to lean on her so much more with Shanae out for the year. I, I think there's probably no better breakout candidate in the league than John Paul Jones. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And um, maybe outside of Emma Meeseman, she's one of the, you know, kind of best-kept secrets around the league. Yes. Like if you ask a, a non-Connecticut Sun fan, um, you know, but a WNBA fan to to name the Connecticut Sun starters. What do you think? Without Cheney, they could maybe maybe name two of them. Right. It's it's like there's not that superstar. It's it's kind of an unassuming group, but they fit well. And uh, yeah, I I love Jean Quell. I was at the game last year where Morgan Tuck. This was before she, uh, you know, when she was uh, healthy. Mm-hmm. I, she had like twenty points or something against Seattle. She looked great. Um, I think the two of them on the floor together is going to be a really interesting, um, an interesting look. Exactly, how do you defend um, two players who can face up and, 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 and do what they can do from the post position? So, um, yeah, I completely agree with you on John Quill. Yeah, and and Kurt Miller's going to know how to how to utilize them too. It, it's going to be fascinating to see. So, the other. Uh, uh, end of the playoff team that you chose uh, was interesting to me as well in in the Atlanta Dream, uh, and you have them eighth overall. Uh, and to take nothing away from your know, number of talented players on Atlanta, but that's definitely higher than a lot of people, myself included, have Atlanta coming into the season. So I, I'm I'm curious what the the playoffs for Atlanta cases in your mind. Um. Well, let me take a look at my poll here. Sometimes it has more to do with. Uh, yeah, you list your first four teams, and then you list your bottom four, and sure. then you figure out the, yes. <laughs> the middle of the Oreo cookie. So I, um, Chicago, Indiana, Dallas, and San Antonio are 9 through 12. Uh, and yeah. I, I do understand there's an argument to be made for a non-playoff season for each of the four. 
Although I guess, you know, where I vote in, I probably give Poti uh, the benefit of the doubt and think she'll find a way with uh, that veteran roster of getting Indiana in. Um, but it's certainly not, it's, it's not anything crazy. I'm just, it's interesting to me. Nor were you the only one to have Atlanta 8. Sure, sure. And, and with Indiana, I think, you know, I, I think Pokey is a good coach. I think it, you just, catching, you know, in so many ways was that team. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of, Indiana's one of the teams you're looking at thinking, all right, exactly what are they going to look like this year? What is their identity going to be? Not only because they have a new coach, but because, uh, you know, the person who, you know, was the epitome of the franchise for the last however many years um, is no longer there. Uh, Atlanta is one of those teams, they've always been one of those teams that I, I kind of watch and, and shake my head and it's like, I can't quite put my finger on or I can't quite figure out how they win the games that they mm-hmm. win sometimes. Um, but because of their ability to just get up and down the floor, defend when they need to, steal the ball, I mean, I know how important Angel was to them. Uh, you know, we did the game last year, the playoff game, where she single-handedly, <laughs> it seemed like, beat uh, beat Seattle just with a phenomenal you know, performance, I think, in the As upper 30 to 40 points. or Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, they will They will clearly miss her. Um, you know, can Tiffany Hayes provide the same kind of thing? No, nobody can do what Angel can do. Um, but I just, I think, I think that they they have enough. That for whatever reason, every year they're a team that, um, that's just hard to guard because of their up and down style, because of their guard's ability to score. Uh, and put it the ball on the floor and get to the free throw line and um, so I think when I just kind of looked at that group of five teams um, and, and finding the place for them, my thought was, you know what, I can never figure out Atlanta. I probably won't be able to figure them out again this year, but it will not surprise me at all if they find their way into the playoffs. I, I've definitely thrown up my hands watching Atlanta and trying to figure out the disconnect there as well. So I I, I can relate to that. And look, Brittany Sykes was the letter-perfect choice for that Atlanta yeah. team. I mean, not just because of the skills, not just because she's she shot threes in almost a 40% clip for a team that needed to improve its efficiency from outside the arc, but like you said, because they get up and down the court, I mean, that's just the way she was playing at Syracuse for, you know, for yeah. four years. So to me, it's asking sites as a rookie, she may need to be their number two or three scorer. You know, if you get beyond Hayes, and uh, obviously Elizabeth Williams is able to uh, clean up a lot on the offensive glass and get her points that way. But that's asking a lot of a player uh, who is also acclimating herself to the lead. And if she's not able to do it, it's a real question where they get it from, in my mind. I I, I just don't know the answer to that. You know, with Sykes, though, like, all you're asking her to do is be her. You know, like that's sure. her. She talked about she's a perfect fit. Just do, just to continue to do what you did in college. You're going to get opportunities. Just continue to run, shoot. Uh, you know, just play at a fast pace. Bria Holmes looked really good, and at the end of last season. True. Um, so, you know, what kind of jump is she going to make? Um, you know, from last year to this year, uh, Dunthus being back, Demiris being back for them is is big because she's a post who can keep up that pace and do something. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just the type of team that when you go into a game, you know, if you're if you're going to scout them and you're going to play against them, like man, we got we got to go against these guys because because oftentimes it's not um, 
all right, this is what they run, this is how we're going to defend it. So much of what they do is in transition, or so much of what they do is making a play mm-hmm. and not just running a play. So they're hard to scheme against, too. And um, and for that reason, like, it's, I think they have enough scores and, and, and play the pace that they want and make it as hectic as they want it to be um, to give some people problems. Well, listen, I will not be someone who's going to argue with the Hall of Famer because that's obviously a silly thing to do. <laughs> and so, and no, I, and, and no games has been played yet. We, we, right. That's the thing is, we need to have this uh, conversation again, like in two weeks, where we have some uh, some real non preseason games to look at and to digest. I, I I look forward to doing that. I wonder, do you, do you use this now? Is this like, uh, you know, in, in a conversation at home? Uh, conversation with your children, perhaps, you know, trying to get a table at a restaurant, are you able to say, like, you know, who are you to tell me no, uh, I am a Hall of Famer? Is, has that been useful to you in everyday life? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I was actually having this conversation with someone recently, because um, they said, you know, didn't you give a, do you know who I am? And I said, outside of, like, television shows, I don't think there's a human being on the earth who has ever, so- ever said, don't you know who I am? That's true. That's fair. <laughs> but, yeah. I wish it it, it, it had it held any currency at all with my children. They still look at me like I I don't know anything. Um, it's and it's even when I'm trying to help them with basketball. So, uh, you know, any parent any parent knows that nothing matters. Their their kids don't think they know anything. Yes, yes, this is very true. Uh, well, I, that's disappointing to hear. Cause I was hoping, perhaps. That would be my goal someday, because at least I could I could utilize that with my children. But no, sad to hear. Well, before I let you go, I, I, I'm curious if there's one under the radar or uh, not even under the radar story we haven't talked about that is f- foremost on your mind as it relates to the league. For me, I'm going to go to Phoenix and to Brittany Griner, and I, I maintain my continued curiosity wonder whether we're going to see her assume the offensive mantle that turns what is a ridiculous level of efficiency into the kind of production that sets records which is what I think all of us believe she's capable of doing and something that she's going to need to do for them to be successful this year I mean yes. this is the year this is uh, this is the year that she is going to for them to really be have the success that they want to have that she's going to have to become a dom- completely dominant force at, and with a lot of touches and a lot of scoring and, and a lot of everything. Um, you know, I don't have anything under the radar. I have something that's probably way over the radar, but I'm still excited to see, and that's Minnesota. Um, they they were number one in my power poll coming in. I mean, for for you know, a couple of the players to, to not play overseas, Simone Augustus being one, uh, Maya Moore, not playing Lindsey Whalen, who who has done that done that in the past, take take the off season off. Uh, Sylvia Files to, to to play the shorter season in China, have their starting roster back, have their core pieces back, in a situation where you would imagine they have to be hungrier than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Not only for losing in the finals, but the way everything went down. Um, I cannot wait to see them play. And and we saw a season ago how important it is to start strong you know with LA and Minnesota both with their strong strong starts undefeated starts and then you know how important it is to have that one or two seed so that you can completely avoid any single elimination games I I am eager to see this version of Minnesota because I've always I, I, I like the way Minnesota plays I like their pieces 
But the question the past couple of years, you know, Ryan and I will sit there calling games, and the question is, you know, is, is this is this their their last hurrah? Right. Um, you know, I don't know, but if it is, they've prepared for it by getting their bodies ready, having the rest that you need. And um, I don't know the last time we saw them coming in where you would imagine they will be really, really fresh. And um, and as masterful as Cheryl was last year using her bench to keep the players fresh, to think that those starters are going to come in, you know, rejuvenated or healthy or whatever, um, I just uh, I'm I'm fascinated by by them and they're by no means under the radar and they're by no means a story that hasn't been told but um, I think they're they're the team that could really really do some exciting things again this year. But you know, it, in a way, they are. You know, coming into last year, they were the defending champs and the GMs voted Phoenix as likeliest to win the title and the, all the conversation about LA as the defending champs and all the conversation about Washington and the moves that they made and what you said I mean it it speaks to and this is my favorite stat about Maya Moore and it's not uh, necessarily like a deep dive analytic stat it's 100% of the time when she hasn't won a WNBA title she is followed by winning a WNBA title and well you can you can go even deeper because I think Holly Rose said since high school she has never gone two years in a row without a championship. Wow. Well, I certainly trust Holly on that. <laughs> it's not I mean, her a, senior no, year at no. UConn, she doesn't win one, but her, right. her rookie year in the W. So, yeah, so I don't even, who knows? Knowing Maya, maybe she never in her life has. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, it, it, it absolutely is. And so, to me, the favorite entering any WNBA season until this run ends has to be Minnesota. It has to be. And other teams have a chance to win. And you saw L.A. had an amazing year last year. And I think they're going to be right there. And New York and Washington, uh, and even Seattle is a dark horse in my mind. Yes, yes. But the reality is, to me, this is the Maya Moore era. And everyone else is trying to play catch-up when you think about what she's accomplished already. Uh, and, And to me, Cheryl is the Pat Summit of the WNBA. And I mean that very... Uh, specifically, you know, a lot of people talk about that Gino is the modern era of Pat, but that's true in the college game in terms of accomplishment. But what Cheryl's really done here is in the league, she has broken new ground. She's stuck around. She's been in this league now for a decade and a half and has taken the winning mentality and made it a permanent fixture in Minnesota. And I think that you had to build a Minnesota uh, in the same way that Pat had to build a Tennessee uh, on the college side. So to my mind, that's something that she does not get enough credit for either. And, you know, just to add on to that, the throw in the fact that she is an outspoken advocate for women in sports, women yes. in general, um, and not afraid to, to be outspoken, not afraid to take a stand, um, there's some pretty apt comparisons to Coach Summit there as well. Absolutely. I've, I've told anyone who ever expressed regret when Pat Summer passed away to say, boy, I wish I'd had the chance to cover. I say, go to Minnesota. Go cover Cheryl Reeve right now in the prime of her career. Well, yeah, her her language is a little saucier than Coach Summit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true uh, to, all, to all of our pleasure, I'm sure. Well, Rebecca Lobo, <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you anytime I get the chance. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we're looking forward to the broadcast you have coming up this year. And really just appreciate your insight and everything that you're doing uh, for the game. So thank you so much. 
Well, I love listening to your stuff and reading your stuff, um, especially the deep dive analytics. Uh, we, we can't get enough of that. Well, that's very kind of you to say. It means a lot to me that you read. And uh, to our listeners, just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook. Go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Full coverage this weekend from multiple WNBA venues at Summit Hoops, two T's, the Summit, uh, 24-7, 365 basketball, except for leap years, then we are 24-7, 366. I am Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day.